Hey friends, I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. I'm the host of the new podcast, Commotion. If you don't know about us yet, well, we are your daily deep dive into the biggest stories coming out of the world of pop culture, art, and entertainment. And luckily, I'm not going to be doing it alone, okay? I'll be joined by some brilliant culture writers and thoughtful super fans. We're going to have hilarious hot takes. We're going to have vibrant debates. Consider this your invitation to join the group chat. Get in here and join us. Commotion, available weekdays on CBC Listen. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, I'm Brent Bambury. This is Day 6. The bells at Bethlehem's ancient Church of the Nativity still ring, but the courtyard here is empty. Christian leaders have coordinated to scale back celebrations this year. We just hope and pray for Jesus to come again and to give us the peace for all this area. Christians in Bethlehem search for joy amid turmoil and war. That's coming up on Day 6. Today... The games he played. This one was definitely made with love. John Orr on the video games that paid off in 2023. The year in music. I just find this song endlessly listenable. Our music panel on the tight tunes and bright lights of the year. And a Christmas card from Hans Gruber. Muppets Christmas Carol, but you know, with guns and stuff. Die Hard rides again as a Christmas musical. All today on Day 6, the 40 stories of sheer Christmas edition. We've seen so many images of children being pulled out of the rubble. And to us, this is a message that uh, Jesus identifies with our suffering. He's in solidarity with those who are oppressed. He's in solidarity uh, with those uh, suffering. So it's a message of comfort and hope to us. That's Reverend Munter Isaac. He's the pastor at the Christmas Evangelical Lutheran Church in Bethlehem. And he's describing his church's nativity scene, which shows baby Jesus surrounded by rubble and wrapped in a traditional Palestinian keffiyeh. It was inspired by the images we see on our TV screens of children uh, being constantly pulled from under the rubble. Bethlehem is the biblical birthplace of Jesus. It is also a city in the occupied West Bank. So while the city would usually be full of festive celebrations at this time of the year, it's a lot more subdued with the war raging in Gaza and violence in the West Bank on the rise too. Reverend Mitri Raheb was born and raised in Bethlehem. He is a Christian Palestinian theologian and a former pastor at the Christmas Evangelical Lutheran Church. He joins us from Bethlehem. Mitri Raheb, good morning. Welcome to our program. Good morning. Uh, good to be with you, Brent. What is the mood in your community as Christmas Eve approaches? What, what are people telling you? You know, it's a very sad uh, uh, Christmas. Uh, people are watching... Uh, you know, the news, uh, they have uh, friends and uh, family members in Gaza. Uh, and when they uh, look and see that uh, genocide taking place there, uh, you know, they are not up for celebrations. Um, and also they are angry that the world cannot even agree on a ceasefire. And how does that compare with Christmas's past? You were born and raised in Bethlehem. What are your memories of Christmas in Bethlehem in better times? You know, um, uh, Christmas in Bethlehem was very special time because, as you know, uh, this is the place where it's all started. This is the place where Jesus was born. And so uh, you had decorated uh, streets with with lights, uh, with stars, with angels. You had uh, people from all around the world uh, here on Christmas. Hotels are full, restaurants are full. You have a parade with over 40 scout groups 
thousands of scouts uh, uh, with uh, festive music through the streets, international choirs coming to perform at Manger Square, uh, lots of, uh, of joy. Uh, none of this, uh, unfortunately, will be uh, this year. Uh, the churches as well as the city council decided to cancel all the festivities. Uh, however, for us, the Christmas story itself uh, is of great importance and essence. And, and you've said that despite these, these cancellations and despite the fact that the Christmas celebrations of the past will not happen this year, you've said that the Christmas story itself is maybe even more relevant today than ever. What do you mean by that? Correct, because, you know, uh, the Christmas story has nothing to do with the reindeer and with the white Christmas and with the jingle bells. It talks about a Palestinian Jewish family in uh, north of Palestine, in Nazareth, who is uh, ordered uh, by an imperial decree uh, to leave Nazareth and to go to Bethlehem to register. And this is what actually uh, the Gazan people were ordered by the Israeli military to evacuate the north to go to the south. Uh, we hear about Mary, uh, the pregnant uh, uh, woman in her nine months uh, on the run from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And you know there are 50,000 uh, Palestinian pregnant women in Gaza today who are really on the run, on the road, and they don't have a place uh, where to deliver their kids because uh, most of the hospitals are out of service, uh, their homes are destroyed, they are delivering in tents uh, on the streets. Uh, this is what happens to the Holy Family 2,000 years ago. Uh, but then also you hear about King Herod. Because he wants to stay in power, he ordered uh, for the kids uh, in uh, Bethlehem to be murdered. Uh, and unfortunately, 8,000 kids in Gaza. Um, and we hear also in the story uh, what the angel actually sing about uh, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, uh, which really is a critique of the empire. Uh, uh, glory belongs to the almighty, not to the mighty. Uh, and the peace uh, that uh, Jesus proclaimed is a different than the Pax Romana, the peace of the Romans that was built on subjugating nations uh, and oppressing them militarily, but the peace that Christ came to proclaim is a peace uh, that is based on human dignity, equality, and justice, and this is what we call for today. Earlier I described the nativity scene at, at the, the Christmas Evangelical Lutheran Church, and the baby Jesus is, is laid down in, in rubble, not the familiar manger. What did you think and feel when you first saw this revised nativity? You know, uh, this is uh, in, in, in the church where I was baptized as a kid, uh, where I served as a pastor for 30 years, uh, and I thought that was uh, the exact uh, right thing to do with what's happening in Gaza, because uh, if we want to look for Jesus today, he is in Gaza. You mentioned that the festivities are canceled this weekend. But there is a, a nativity scene on Manger Square in, in Bethlehem. What will happen in Manger Square this Christmas weekend? Actually, as we speak now, uh, they are uh, putting up one of the largest uh, nativity scenes that was ever put on, on Manger Square with, again, uh, the Holy Family, not only the baby Jesus, but the Holy Family, actually. And the whole scene is in rubbles. 
and uh, there will be uh, five uh, children that we picked that will send uh, messages of hope and of love uh, and support uh, to the kids uh, in Gaza, uh, from Bethlehem directly to Gaza. In spite of the cancellations, will there be pilgrims? Will people come to Bethlehem anyway, just to be near the place where Christ was born on Christmas? No pilgrims at all. I mean, because Bethlehem itself is besieged, actually. Uh, It's very difficult to get in and out of Bethlehem because Israel already, uh, since 75 days, uh, uh, sealed off all roads. Uh, There is uh, restrictions of movement. However, there is... uh, One uh, solidarity delegation uh, from South Africa that arrived yesterday, Uh, they are the only group, international group, that I know of. Uh, And so this solidarity pilgrimage is important for us because it's really the first of its kind uh, during this war. I asked you earlier about how Christmas has changed in Bethlehem this year, but how has Bethlehem itself changed over the years from the place where you were born and grew up? You know, when I grew up, uh, Bethlehem was really the little town, the little town of Bethlehem that people think about. Uh, Nowadays, it's a large town with over 30,000 people, but it is unfortunately a city surrounded from three sides by a 25-foot-high wall. It's like an enclave because uh, Israeli uh, Jewish settlers and the Israeli military has already confiscated 86% of our own land, uh, and so only 14% of our lo- own land is under our control. So the Israeli state is actually a settler colonial project. I hope it will not take us 400 years for the Israeli to realize what they are doing. Mitri, you are part of a shrinking Christian minority, not only in the West Bank, but in your own birthplace as well, in Bethlehem. How do you explain to people why you are still there? I'm still here because uh, the existence of Christians in this part of the world is important to keep Palestine as a pluralistic uh, society. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are here because our roots are here. Um, This is where, you know, our family's uh, history is. uh, And we want uh, to make sure that that history will continue in spite of all uh, odds uh, that we are facing. Reverend Mitri Raheb, All the best for this holiday season. Thank you very much for being with us. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Mitri Raheb is a Palestinian Christian theologian in Bethlehem. Here are some other stories we're keeping an eye on this weekend. When you cross the line into engaging in insurrection, uh, after taking an oath to protect that constitution... Uh, you're no longer eligible to hold office. You're no longer eligible to run for office. This week, Colorado's Supreme Court ruled that Donald Trump cannot run for president in the state. It cited a section of the 14th Amendment, arguing that his role in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol amounted to participation in an insurrection. Similar legal challenges are underway in more than a dozen other states, though it seems likely the question of Trump's eligibility to run for president again will land with the U.S. Supreme Court sometime in the new year. And 
After three years of negotiations, the European Union has a new agreement on migrants. The deal is trying to limit the number of migrants coming into the EU, make it easier to deport failed claimants, and share the cost of caring for migrants more equitably between countries. It is widely seen as a response to the far right, which has made gains campaigning against migration. Rights groups say the new deal puts migrants at greater risk the deal is expected to take effect in the new year. Still to come on day six, John Orr on the year's video games that came out underhyped, but still pack a punch. As you gather in peace with friends and family this holiday season, there's still that one question that is destined to incite violence. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I think it's a Christmas movie, for sure. It's set at Christmas, uh, and um, that's it. (laughs) That's Byron Martin. He's the artistic director at Grindhouse Theatre Society in Edmonton. It's got Christmas songs, you know, Christmas jokes. Uh, Yeah. But even if Byron hasn't convinced you that Die Hard embodies the holiday spirit... Next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. You have to admit that he and his writing partner, Simon Abbott, are making a strong case because they've taken Die Hard, the action-packed thriller, and transformed it into a goofy theater production called Die Harsh, a Christmas musical. My name is Simon Abbott. I am the musical director and co-writer of Die Harsh, a Christmas musical. My name is Byron Martin. I'm the artistic director of Grindstone Theater and the co-writer and director of... Die Hard. If you haven't seen Die Hard, there's a, a bunch of Germans, and uh, <laughs> the main German guy, Hans Gruber, is trying to steal a bunch of money. But there's this New York cop who's there in this office building where the heist is taking place, and he's kind of loose in the building, and he starts messing up all their plans. Mm, these are very bad for you. Who are you, then? Just a fly in the ointment, Hans. The monkey and the wrench. Our show is very different. We basically made Hans the main character and tell the story from his perspective. And then we inject a whole bunch of Christmas into it. We kind of um, introduced this sort of stupid Christmas idea that even the most Grinch-like bad guy through Christmas magic can have a change of heart at the end. You will be haunted by spirit, he sings. Expects the first when the elevator dings. It's basically a, a diehard Christmas carol. The kind of classic Scrooge story with Hans Schmuber as uh, Scrooge. Christmas is about to be cancelled. No, no, Christmas! Why did we decide to put those two stories together? It, it really doesn't make any sense. Nobody asked for this. That's what Byron always says. Nobody asked for this. And it just, I mean, it, it was a nightmare to write. It's a well-shot film, and it doesn't translate directly to theater, since it's cutting so quickly between, between characters in different locations. One of the actors plays 18 characters, and some of them come back and forth. So the number of quick changes they have to do is just, it's comical. We've described it as Muppets Christmas Carol, but, you know, with guns and stuff. We're taking the piss out of everything. So if you hate musicals, you are going to love this show. And if you love musicals, you're going to love this show. We're doing 
songs that feel like Les Mis, and then we're doing like German folk numbers. I wish I was home with my family, away from this toiling and strife. Brings the kids some gingerbread. We just said to ourselves, if this character had to sing a song in a show, if Hans Gruber had to sing a song, what would that song be like? Ich bin ein sexy German in his case, it, it would be sort of a sexy rock kind of number. Or if John and Holly had to sing a love ballad, what would it be? Well, of course, it would be like an 80s power ballad kind of thing. I had to stay in New York because I'm a New York Maybe one of the silliest songs is uh, John McQueen, as we call him in our version, uh, for copyright issues, I guess, or just stupid issues. I, I don't know why we decided to do that. John McQueen sings uh, a song called John's Song, which is just this outrageous ballad to sort of the idea of his wife. Everything I touch ignites. He sings about how in his life everything he touches dies or explodes. He's an action hero, I guess, is what he's singing about. But how even his love with his wife, he has somehow managed to explode. The band is playing on stage on top of scaffolding facing out. So the whole show, I just get to watch 200 people's reactions to every little thing. There's guys coming out wearing like... Um, costumes from the show, guys coming out in like John McClane's wife beater covered in blood or wearing the ho 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 machine gun sweater. Uh, it, it's kind of wild. So one side of the room is laughing at every musical theater joke and the other side of the room is laughing at every diehard joke. And at no point is everybody laughing at the same thing somehow. It's always nerve wracking when you put up a project that's in development and, and you test it in front of a, a live audience. And um, I never really considered myself a writer at all so getting to take a piece of writing and then get it up on stage and to see it all come together it, it definitely is is fantastic i spoke with a woman yesterday who said she'll come every year that we put this crazy thing on so uh, i think we just keep putting the show on every year and maybe uh, we, we grow it, we make it a little bigger, a little more refined every year. Who knows, a couple years from now, it might be a completely different show. Byron Martin is the writer and director of Die Harsh, a Christmas musical. Simon Abbott is the writer and musical director. The show is a production of Grindhouse Theatre Society. In Edmonton. You might recognize that song. It's the main theme from Super Mario Brothers Wonder, one of the many video games we talked about on the show this year. Video game theme music isn't exactly standard holiday listening, but you have to admit, that's pretty relaxing. Cozy, even. You can get into it. In a year that left a lot of us craving an escape, video games offered a welcome reprieve. And there was something for everyone in this year's offerings. You had the whimsical and family-friendly world of Mario... 
and the mystical forgotten realms of Baldur's Gate 3. And the action-packed meta-world of Marvel's Spider-Man 2. If you paid any attention at all to the gaming industry this year, you probably felt the buzz around each one of those titles. But there was also a ton of great video game releases that you might not have heard about. And our resident Day6 gaming expert, Jonathan Orr, is here now to take you through a few of his favorite under-the-radar picks from 2023. John, good morning. Welcome to Day6. Hi, Brent. Thanks for having me, as always. John, how many hours do you think you logged playing video games this year? Oh, no, don't ask me that. Um, <laughs> dozens, maybe hundreds. Um, uh, I'm sure it's in the I'm sure it's in the triple digits anyway. Low triple digits this time. Let's be honest. OK, well, there's still time to up that number before the end of the year. But we just spent a fair amount of time listening to the theme from Super Mario Brothers Wonder. And I'd like to start with something family friendly. Can you tell us about another release from 2023 that might appeal to fans of the Mario universe? Right. Um, so also for the Nintendo Switch, uh, Disney's Illusion Island, it will be very familiar for people who played the recent Mario games. It's up to four players. You can play as uh, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Donald Duck, and Goofy. And yeah, it's a 2D adventure game, a lovely art, lovely Disney-directed music, uh, although it uses like the the modern versions of the character, which like are a little bit edgier than maybe the classic versions. Oh, no. So is it full of bone-crushing violence? No, no, no. It's actually the opposite. It's actually very clever how they uh, use the mechanics of the game. You can run and jump around the, the area. You know, you're finding items to unlock new paths in, in the world. But there are some of the boss battles, and they're not really uh, violent, I guess you could say. You're kind of moving around, manipulating the environment to, like, you know, press buttons to drop a giant fruit on somebody's head, just kind of knock them out. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's very family-friendly, uh, very familiar if you're a fan of the Mario games or maybe some of the older uh, Castlevania adventure games. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I was very surprised because some licensed property games don't always turn out very well, but this right. one was definitely made with love. Okay, Disney's Illusion Island for, for intergenerational play. There's at least one game on your list where the plot is centered on an intergenerational family. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, one that really stuck with me was called Venba. It's made uh, by a Toronto independent developer. It tells a story of a woman named Venba who moves from India to Canada with her husband in the 1980s. It kind of follows them throughout the decades as they raise their son, Kevin, and try to figure out how to you know, manage um, how Kevin and his, their son uh, rapidly assimilates to Canadian culture. And we right. do that kind of by learning how to cook uh, Indian Tamil dishes. Uh, huh. There are puzzles – uh, you know, how to manipulate the steaming areas and how to mix, uh, you know, rice with coconut to make putu, which is very fun. It tells a really great personal, um, you know, even heartwarming story. It uses food as a love language, which is really quite something. It's only about like 90 minutes long. So it's also kind of the like the indie film version uh, or the indie film game in this list today. So so how does how do the cooking challenges work? I mean, do they give you recipes? I, I, I've looked at the graphics of it. It is a beautiful looking game. Yeah, there's a lot of like, um, watercolor or pastel uh, style art to it. But basically you are playing as Venba and she is trying to recreate or rebuild uh, recipes from her mother's cookbook. And, you know, some of the pages are a little bit scratched or torn. So she's trying to fill in the gaps with the equipment that she has. And you can see throughout the years, as the years go by, like, you know, in the 1980s, there wasn't a lot of Indian cooking um, ingredients or equipment in Canada. Right. But as you go on to, like, say, you know, the 90s, early, early 2000s, there are a lot more like packaged spices or 
or soup bases that you're able to use because they're more available in stores these days. So mm-hmm. it kind of tells its story through the mechanics in ways that are not too tough or demanding for the player. A beautiful looking game, and it has a really lovely soundtrack as well. And that's Venba. And it's not the only game you have that has to do with food. Yeah, uh, this one also includes cooking. Uh, it's called Thirsty Suitors, although it, it has some other things in common with Venba, but it does a little bit more or has a bit of a wider breadth to it. Um, this is uh, by an American team, but it's kind of like a South Asian queer or, or more queer version of Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> That's really just like the setup, but it does. there's more to it than that, really. Uh, you play as this young woman named Jala. She comes back to her family home in somewhere in the States, like in the Midwest, because her you know much more quote-unquote successful sister is getting married. Uh, There she has to deal with her family expectations and also engage in like verbal duels with her exes of all sorts. So Okay. So that's the Scott Pilgrim tie-in. There's evil exes in this. Yeah. I mean like not evil, maybe just messy is a good way of putting it (laughs) Um, because Jala herself is messy. She's dealing with her own like insecurities or her own flaws from her past. The characters, it's just full of color, full of humor. Um, There are cooking challenges, but they're kind of more like speed and skill base than Venba and you're, the food you create, the dishes you create help you in battle, right? Mm. But it's just so wonderfully self-aware and you know conscious of the immigrant experience. Um, the first guy that Jala meets and you have to have like a verbal battle with, he had a crush on Jala in grade school and his pickup lines are like, come meet my mom. She can teach you how to cook my favorite dishes for me. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of attitude and fun there. Thirsty Suitors is also a really wonderful name. So that's that's three out of five. What's your fourth pick for 2023? This one is interesting. It's called Dredge. Um, this was a real big surprise for me. It's a little technical, but it is a cosmic horror fishing simulator. Mm-hmm. So you you play a fisherman in a you know small wharf or archipelago. You are fishing for the local town. There are some small uh, mini games on how to properly catch fish. You have to you know fit them all into your cargo hold, which is kind of like a Tetris um, set. So you know figure out how the pieces fit together. But then you realize like oh you make sure you don't go out fishing at night because weird things happen at night. And you suddenly find out that you know when you're at when you're out at night you can't see anything without your lights. Um, strange apparitions may appear. You may look down into the water and see some shape moving around you, and then you have to figure out what happens. There's kind of like a Lovecraftian panic meter that shows up uh-huh. once you are fishing at night. I do not want to spoil what exactly happens, but it's really interesting, and it's a really great mix of environmental atmospheric storytelling with, you know, the technical simulator aspect, which, you know, both of which I really love. Maybe if you're looking for one, you might not be a fan of the other, but it does something that I've never seen before. And like, I never knew I needed a horror themed fishing game. (laughs) But it definitely has that horror vibe. That's Dredge. And I think that the last game on your list, according to what I've been told, might be your favorite, John. Do I have that right? Uh, it's, It's up there. It's maybe my most surprising favorite game. So, This is Metroid Prime Remastered. It's for the Nintendo Mm -hmm. Switch. It is a re-release and like a very slight remastering and cleanup of Metroid Prime, which originally came out in 2002 for the Nintendo GameCube. It is this great like sci-fi action exploration game where you play as Samus Aran. She's a bounty hunter with a crazy suit of armor and a gun for her on her arm. So, you know, you're exploring all these like vast 
wildernesses and alien landscapes trying to get mm-hmm. out of the place, right? Um, you know, eventually it culminates in a battle with gigantic aliens and a robotic dragon. But like the best thing about this game and maybe the most interesting thing is that this game – basically perfected the first-person adventure game. So most games that take place in the first-person perspective where, like, you know, the camera, you are looking through the right. player's eyes, um, like Doom or Call of Duty, they're, they're combat games. There's not a lot of, like, puzzle platforming, jumping across chasms and figuring out, like, you know, gigantic mazes of a world. Metroid Prime did it in 2002, and basically no one has ever done it better since. And there are a lot of technical remakes that rebuild classic games from the ground up in, you know, new visuals, new mechanics. Uh, The Resident Evil 4 remake is is a good one that came out this year. But Metroid Prime basically didn't need any of it. They just re-released it a little bit cleaned up. And it's just perfect. It's incredible how well that game holds up. Nothing feels aged or outdated. It is it is really impressive. Metroid Prime remastered from way back in 2002 and updated for 2023. John, knowing you, you're already looking ahead to the games that are coming out next year. What new release are you most excited to get your hands on? Right. Uh, and, you know, we only know so much about these games coming out. There are a couple that really stand out to me. Uh, the new Prince of Persia game called Lost uh, Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown from Ubisoft. It's this amazing uh, 2D action platformer game. Uh, there might be a bit of a trend here with some other games I've talked about. Uh, it's just super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is uh, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which is the next installment of a remake of Final Fantasy VII from 1997. They are doing really cool things with their story and characters. It's kind of like like the Star Trek remake by J.J. Abrams where they are kind of twisting around what we know of the original story. Right. And we don't really know where that's going to go. And that's, you know, people have are having a lot of fun speculating on what they're going to change and what they're not going to change. It's going to be a great year for gaming. We'll have you back to talk all about it. Jonathan, thank you very much for being with us. Happy holidays. Thanks. You too, Brent. Jonathan Orr is a senior writer with CBC Radio Digital and Day Six's gaming expert. Still, lots to come on Day 6, including it's the final rift of 2023. Stay tuned to win the last bag of the year. Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brent Bambury. You're listening to Day 6 from CBC Radio. We're on public radio stations across the United States. Listen on demand with the CBC Listen app, and we're available wherever you get your podcasts. Also at cbc.ca slash day6. 2023 is winding down. It's time to take stock of what we want to carry forward into the new year and what we want to put firmly in the rearview window. Let's be honest. There's a lot to leave behind. But I can think of at least one thing I'll definitely be hanging on to from 2023, and that's the music. 
told me that you wish I was somebody you never met But baby, baby, something's telling me this ain't over yet Baby, baby, the tears they fall from your eyes when the sun goes down The hits just did not stop coming this year, and really, it wouldn't be Christmas without an end-of-the-year edition of the Day 6 Music Panel. So, we brought the gang back together to tell us about the music that landed at the top of their list in 2023. Here with me in studio is Odario Williams, host of CBC's After Dark, and a rapper with Grand Analog in Boston, Maura Johnston, music critic and an adjunct professor in the journalism department at Boston College, and from Los Angeles, the one and only Nate Sloan, musicologist and the co-host of the podcast Switched on Pop. Nate, Mora, Odario, good morning. Welcome back. Hey, so, hey, so great to be uh, back. So wonderful to have you. And of course, this means that Christmas is right around the corner. And the Christmas Queen, Mariah Carey, is back at number one. And I just want to find out from each of you, does this portend good things for the season or not? Nate? At this point, I would be disturbed if Mariah Carey wasn't at the top of the charts. That, w- <laughs> that would be an aberration. Uh, Dario? I agree with Nate 100%. Bora. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you shared the love with rocking around the Christmas tree, but it is all well and right that Mariah is back in the <laughs> driver's seat. Yeah, I love Mariah. She does take up a lot of oxygen, so we're here to give up some of that oxygen to some of the other stars of 2023. And Nate, let's start with the best album of the year. What was at the top of your pile in 2023? The album that I listened to the most, I thought about the most, that challenged me and entertained me the most was S.O.S. by SZA. That is a deadly, beautiful melody, Kill Bill by SZA, Mm. and a dangerously infectious track. Nate, what does this mean to you? Well, this song, Kill Bill, I think captures a lot of the dichotomies, the tensions that run through this album. On one hand, like you were saying, Brent, this song is kind of this violent fantasy about doing harm to your ex. But at the same time, there's a vulnerability there. There's a sensitivity. She talks about going to therapy in the song. (laughs) There's, There's all these extremes over the course of this record. And as you listen to it, you are exposed to all the facets of SZA's personality. She 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 leaves it all on on the floor, so to speak. And at the same time, these are incredible melodies that get stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. The production is fantastic. Her voice sounds amazing. She's showing us different sides of what she can do, and that's another thing that makes this album such a great listen. She will tear your heart out, and I mean that literally. Adario, I'm coming for you next. What's your favorite album this year? Well, mine just came to me as a surprise. I realized I listened to this one the most all year. It's by Kali Uchis. It's called Red Moon in Venus. Ooh, never 
Wish You Roses, Kali Uchis, and that's from Red Moon and Venus. And Adaria, why did that record keep calling to you this year? Well, Kali Uchis, she's been an up-and-coming pop star, and I like that she took a little bit of a left turn and decided to go for Kate Bush meets hip-hop. Mm. You know, it's just very interesting stuff, but it's also very personal to her. I Wish You Roses, that's a very personal tune because she wanted to release toxic people and places and things in her life, but do it without resentment, without bitterness. So it's a goodbye song. It's a goodbye song. But it's got that beautiful floral generosity to it that's so smooth and so... Yeah, it really is. Maura, I know you love Kaliuchis as well, and you may have chosen this record if Odaria didn't get to it first, but do you have another one that you want to share for Best of 2023? I do. Um, My pick is the self-titled fourth album by the Oklahoma singer-songwriter Zach Bryan. Hey, driver, pull on over. I'm in a fight with God. This Carolina shoulder seems the place I'm getting on. Daddy always told me Never make a home on the road While your lady's sneaking out And the kids are growing old Zach Bryan and Hey Driver. And this guy had just a banger of a year. But Maura, what is it that made this self-titled record so big for you? I just think it's a really great example of his songwriting strengths. He combines, you know, the sort of realism and brawniness of Heartland Rock. He has the storytelling that's common in Nashville, and he's got the emotionalism of soul, and then just a pinch of like really cl- up close indie rock production, which makes me interested about the shows he's doing next year, which are going to be in stadiums. Um, I just feel like he's really forging his own path in the sort of country Americana world where, you know, it's very singular, his lyrical outlook, it's very honest, and it's really kind of just beautifully produced as well so that it lets the bones of the songwriting shine through. Hey, driver, you can drop me off anyway. Zach Bryant, Hey Driver, that's from his self-titled record. Okay, sometimes it's not the album, it is the single, it's mm-hmm. the track. Adario, what was your favorite single track from 2023? I went with British Hip Hop this year. Central C and Dave with Sprinter. Demand them to inconsiderate five star hotel smoking cigarette mixing cup up with a she got thick but she wanna get thin again drinking apple cider vinegar wearing skim cause she wanna be Kimmin' uh alright I know they are bad stop acting innocent we ain't got generational wealth it's only a year that I've had these millions my whip could have been in a Tokyo drift cars fast and furious I went from the Toyota Yaris to Eurus They had their chance but blew it Central C and Dave and Sprinter That's Adario's track of 2023 Adario, that sounds amazing and really funny too What is it that you love about it? Well, who doesn't love a British accent? Oh, yeah. Now come on <laughs> Come on, hey. let's just put it all on the table <laughs> here and be honest better. Yeah. And what I love about Brit hip-hop these days is they are expressing their British accent more mm. than anything. They're making what they always wanted to make. And what I love about this tune in particular, it's an old-school approach mm-hmm. to hip-hop. Yeah, are they as rich as they say they are? Yes, they are. Wow. But recently. Yeah. Now, if you actually listen, uh, they're saying, this just happened. So that's why I'm writing this song. You know, there's a line where uh, Central C is saying he was driving a Yaris just two years ago, but now he's he can afford something else. It's so great. It's so great. I just loved it. 
Two men in my land heard one of my things dating. P did he need 20% or whatever she bags outside my head in my hands. Sprinter, Central C and Dave. Nate, let's hear your pick. Best song of 2023. What is it? My pick is Troy Savan, One of Your Girls. Everybody loves you, baby. You should trademark your face. Lining on the block to be around you. But baby, I'm first in place. Face card, no cash, no credit. Yes, God, don't speak, you said it. Look at you. Troy Savan having some fun with gender. One of your girls is the name of that track. Nate, tell us about that. I, I love this song. It It is so... It's a song that you can finish and then immediately press play on again. Yeah. There's something that's so captivating about that loping mid-tempo mm-hmm. beat. The lyrics are so tantalizing. They imagine this encounter between Troy's queer narrator and a straight crush he has and the sense of unrequited love but it's also like playful at the same time the song has taught me some new vocabulary face card no cash no credit i didn't know what that meant that's uh when you're so attractive that you don't even need a credit card a wallet that's your face card that's like one in one thousand but that's what it is (laughs) i just find the song endlessly listenable One of Your Girls by Troy Savan Mora. What about you? What was your top song for 2023? My pick is Olivia Rodrigo's Bad Idea Right. Haven't heard from you in a couple of months, but I'm out right now and I'm all wrapped up and you're calling my phone. You're all alone and I'm sensing some undertone. And I'm right here with all my friends that you're sending me your new address. And I know we're done. I know we're through. But God, when I look at you, my Bad idea, right? By Olivia Rodrigo. And you know what? She does it anyway. Mora, <laughs> tell us why you love it. I mean, I'm a you know, I'm a nineties person, so obviously I'm gonna have any a, a sort <laughs> right. of soft spot for a song that sounds like it's out of the alternative nation block <laughs> from nineteen ninety four. But I also really love how like the tension in the so- in the music mm. mirrors the tension that she's singing about in the song and she's trying to mm. convince herself it's a bad idea and then she's just like, Whatever, I'm just gonna do it. Um the production is really intense yeah. and layered and I just you know, it has like three different different choruses that you mm-hmm. can sing along with too. <laughs> yeah, it builds. It's a really good one. So Olivia Rodrigo, Bad Idea Right, which is Morris' pick for the song of 2023. We still have one more category to talk about. It's Best New Artist. So Dario, I need to know who did you discover this year? Well, my discovery is not actually new artists, but they are a new formed group called Ketramine. Here's their single Forever.
That's Forever by Ketra Mine. Odario, who came together to make that? So Ketra Mine is the one and only Ketra Nada, an awesome Canadian producer, uh, working with rapper Amine. Now, I love collaborations and let's just be honest, my name's a little difficult. If I could find another artist that could mix my name up with theirs, I'll do it. I'll do it. But Kate Tramina, hey, it works. And the track, that track was hands down uh, one of the summer songs of the year, uh, especially when I was doing DJ gigs. That was the song that just brought everybody onto the dance floor. It's so smooth. And I just enjoy everything Kate Trinata does. Everything he touches turns to gold. Ketramine and Forever. What about you, Maura? Best new artist for 2023. So this is an artist that's been around for a while, but he really had his kind of breakthrough moment in the States this year. And it's Peso Pluma. And this is his collaboration with the California band Esleban Armado called Ea Baya Sola. Peso's voice, I just can't. It's so crazy. It's it's really it's so out cool. there. It really <laughs> is. Eslabon yeah. Armado, Peso Pluma, and Alabaya Sola Mora. What is the story behind the song? So this was the first Musica Mexicana song to make the top ten of the Billboard Hot 100, the singles chart in what? the U.S. Yeah. You know, this has been a year, I feel, where you've seen kind of streaming really influence the singles charts, Mm. bringing in this kind of, you know, new spin on traditional Mexican music to the pop charts. I mean, it's kind of amazing. And you have, you know, other acts. You have the artist Tyla, who just hit the top 10 with her Mm. single Water. You obviously have the various members of BTS who have done really well with the singles that they've released over the year. But I think that this has been an interesting year for that kind of global music listening ideal to come to the fore and to and people to kind of find stuff that might be out of radio programmers normal yeah. remit yeah like a regional artist from mexico and then they chisel into the top ten, top, top five really i think it was it was an yeah. absolutely huge hit for them so yeah yeah and you know peso like toured the states this year mm-hmm. and and did really well you know in in pretty big venues and everything so it's a little chaotic but it's also really exciting Esleban Armado and the wonderful Pesa Pluma. And Nate, it's your turn now. And last but not least, the top new artist you discovered in 2023. My pick is an artist who's new to the world of music, but has been well-established for a while as a comedian and a podcaster. This artist just released their debut Christmas album, which tells you a little bit about their goals. It's a comedy album. It's Matt Rogers. Also, it's Christmas. It's been months, now I'm finally ready to get back in the game, to connect in a dark corner and then forget your name. I see my breath in the air before me, but that's not cause it's cold. Your body moves and it tells a story, dying to be told. In the dark of the night, I 
for centuries. That's history. Want you to make me come alive. Also, oh, it's Christmas. <laughs> Did I mention that it's Christmas in this club? Also, oh, it's Christmas. Tonight is the night we celebrate his son. It's Christmas. <laughs> Matt Rogers. He is selling that. Nate, he is selling that oh song. Oh, my gosh. Also, it's Christmas. I love Matt. He is so funny. And, you know, I feel like he really believes it. I, I, I totally agree. I think this song is hysterical because on one hand, it's sort of poking fun at these annual holiday releases from big pop stars that sometimes feel just like desperate cash grabs. Yeah. You know, this song almost as an afterthought goes, oh, also it's Christmas <laughs> in the chorus. But at the same time, there's so throughout this album, there, there's so much love and so much musical integrity that that this isn't just a satire. This is also a genuine love letter to Christmas songs, and it's a genuinely great album. So this is what I'm going to be listening to for the rest of the year. Maura, Christmas is two <laughs> days away. I, I, I want to find out what's, what, what album, what holiday album is in rotation at your house. It's got to be John Denver and the Muppets, which has been a favorite of mine since I was very young. But still, it has that awesome electric mayhem version of Little St. Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Adaria, what about for you? Well, I don't mean to bring the mood down, friends. I can't stand Christmas music. (laughs) Oh, Adaria. (laughs) But if I had to choose... I'd go classic. I'd go absolutely classic. Nat King Cole, The Christmas Song. You just can't go wrong. Written by Mel Torme in the 40s. 40s. The 40s. But everything Nat sings, everything Nat King Cole sings, sounds like it's a a, a box of hot chocolate at Christmas, right? (laughs) It's unbelievably beautiful. Uh, You guys are great. It's going to be a bluey Christmas at my house, so I'm going to wish you all a fruit bat in a mango tree. And have great holidays. Thank you for being with us. Great to Thank be here, you. Brian. It was great. Also, it's Christmas. It is December 25th. That is today. Also, it's Christmas. Now every year they will play this song. Season on Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Christmas. Oh. Musicologist and switched on pop podcast host Nate Sloan, Maura Johnston, music critic and adjunct journalism prof at Boston College, and Odario Williams, host of CBC's After Dark and a rapper with Grand Analog. And here we go. It's Riff from the Headlines, our weekly quiz. Three riffs linked by one story in the news. If you guess the story that links those riffs, you could win a day six tote bag. First, here's a recap. This is last week's clue. Morning has broken like the first 
Stevens and Morning Has Broken Sick of It by the Primitives and You're Having My Baby by Paul Anka. And Susan Craft of Edmonton correctly guessed the headline they were looking for. Scientists pinpoint the cause of severe morning sickness during pregnancy. Congratulations, Susan. A day six tote bag will be on its way to you soon. Now, here's this week's clue. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's new, pussycat? Whoa. And we're looking for the story that connects those riffs. Email us your answer. Put riff from the headlines in the subject and send it to day6 at cbc.ca. Please include your mailing address. One right answer will be picked at random. The prize is a day6 tote bag. And you can always hear the clues again anytime at cbc.ca slash day6. Riff from the headlines. And that's our show for this week. Day 6 was produced by Annie Bender, Sarah Melton, and Pedro Sanchez. Our senior producer is Gord Westmacott, and I'm Brent Bambury. It's three days to Kwanzaa, two days to Christmas, and seven days till we meet again on Day 6. Happy holidays, everyone. Peace on Earth. Yep, yeah. another one in the bag. Chestnuts oh, oh, oh. roasting on an open fire. <laughs> What's in that song that I love? L is for the way you look at me. O no, is for no, the yeah. only one yeah. I see. V is very, very extraordinary. Yes. Yes. Means you're the one that is all that I can give to you. Love is more than just a game for two. Two in love can make it. Take my heart and please don't break it. Love was made for me and you. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.